You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Whenever I see my dad, I don't see number 68144. How can he be a bad guy? What are they talking about? The church parishioners, the pre-K teacher, the nosy neighbors all ask me, Who is your father? Or, Where's your father? They judge every word, every defense I have for him. I feel like I did something bad. You're listening to Houses on the Moon podcast. The unheard voice. Amplified. 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 Making a home for stories in uncharted space since 2001. Hi, this is Emily Joy Weiner. I'm the co-founder and artistic director of Houses on the Moon Theater Company in New York City. I'm stepping in for Jeff today as guest host. On this episode of Houses on the Moon podcast, we share a true tale from Zudeda Rivera, developed through Houses on the Moon's Shared Sentences, a storytelling project with people who have incarcerated loved ones. Zudeda was just four years old the first time she visited a maximum security prison to see her father, who was serving a life sentence. In her true story entitled Zudeda with a Backward Z, she struggles to help her young son deal with the imprisonment of his father and reckon with her own complicated relationship with mass incarceration. After the story, I'll join Zudeda and Barbara Allen, co-founder of Prison Families Anonymous, in conversation about their lives, their work, and participating in the Shared Sentences Project. So stick around. And now, here's Zudeda Rivera telling her story, Zudeda with a backward Z. I'm stopped at the light. My four-year-old son twists his body in the booster seat, pointing at the Grove Street path station where we used to pick up his dad after work. Mommy, mommy, stop! You forgot to pick up my daddy! Don't leave daddy, he has to come home! Shit, how does he remember that? You'll never pick up daddy! I have to tell him now. I was his age when I found out about my dad. I turned out okay. Or did I? I tell him, I'm sorry. Daddy isn't there, Papa. My son's giving me dirty looks in the mirror. Mom is always the bad guy. What a strong character this one has. Wow. Ray is me. The locked up father, the backseat of the car, the cover-ups, and a broken heart. In 1982, I was four, in the backseat of my aunt's car. 
The sun isn't out yet. The smell of the gas on the highway and the motion makes my stomach stir. I'm dressed up like a fluffy piece of cake with shoes and stockings. I'm looking pretty for my dad. Today is visiting day. The visiting room stretches out long and wide to accommodate many families. It looks like a hospital, very bland and cold with only rainbow-colored plastic chairs to brighten the area. The officers are so serious and intimidate us with their ferocious canines on leashes. They wear navy blue uniforms and some have shotguns. All are wearing bulletproof vests. When I smile at them, they won't smile back at me. The prisoners come out wearing beige uniforms in a single file. I see my father. I run straight to him. He scoops me up in his arms and carries me back to my seat. He kisses his mom, hugs his sister. My grandmother complains to my dad about what's going on on the outside, but I take over the conversation. I talk and talk. I have my father's undivided attention. My grandmother allows it because he is my dad, and the visit is only an hour and a half. Daddy, did you get my letter? When are you coming out? <gasps> I saw this movie, The Escape from Alka. Alka, he whispers, Alcatraz. His voice is raspy and sounds like a gangster. He laughs and smiles at me. Zudeda, when you become a lawyer, you can help me get out. After that day, that was my plan. He pulls out a pack of Newports from his shirt's left pocket. His fingers are yellow, orange, and burnt from smoking. He has a head full of black hair and a full bushy beard that's long to his chest. He says he won't cut it until he comes out. He kisses me and it's itchy. My dad is handsome. He has a dark olive complexion, but now he's beige. No sun. He is in maximum security. Whenever I see my dad, I don't see number 68144. I see someone I have a real connection to. Someone who's actually happy that I'm there. How can he be a bad guy? What are they talking about? The church parishioners, the pre-K teacher, the nosy neighbors all ask me, who is your father? Or, where's your father? When I answer, their faces are disgusted. They do away with me right after the answer. Well, you asked. They judge every word, every defense I have for him. I feel like I did something bad. I was four when my mom left me with the clothes on my back. She said, I'll be right back. I'm getting a pack of cigarettes. I haven't seen her since. She doesn't want anything to do with us. I'm Blackie's daughter. It's a package deal, you know. You get him, you get me. I had to grow up fast. So I put my doll down, grab a paper and pen. Dear Daddy, I draw a happy face with a side ponytail. Love, Zudata, with a backward Z. The visit comes to an end. One by one, the CEO calls out their last names. I am shocked at how they say their goodbyes Russian as if they knew there'd be hell to pay if they didn't go and called. Luciano! This kills my grandma. She cries. 
I never saw her cry. Only for my dad, only for him, she prays. It's time to leave now. Everyone is mourning. I am numb. The ride back, my grandmother has little to say. Only mentions how skinny my dad is. I'm quiet. I wish someone could tell me when this will be over. Give me a straight answer. I didn't know that after that day, I'd be visiting and writing to my dad for 30 plus years. Dad may not know it, but I'm doing this time with him. Now, I glance at my child in the rear view, still sleeping. It's dark out like 5 a.m. I pack snacks, DVDs, a change of clothes, extra cash, and directions. I look at Ray. He is so innocent. He has a curly soft fro and chubby pink cheeks. He's perfect. The ride is two hours from home down South Jersey, Bayside State Prison. I'm hesitant. I'm going to inflict something on him that I don't have to. But all his questions, all his wondering, he misses his dad. He was two when his dad went in. But those two years they spent together, Ricky made them count. They were like two peas in a pod. They played video games together. They went on errands together. He used to call my baby Fat Man. But now, this. I strive hard to give him a better life. I went to college, don't do drugs, don't drink and drive, pay my bills. I thought I was winning at life. When I met Ricky, he was a working man, leaving that crazy lifestyle behind. And one night, he takes off his responsible grown man clothes and puts on his 80s outfit. A gun charge carries five years mandatory. What the hell was he thinking? When I gave birth to Ray, I wanted to protect him from all the world's evil and malice. How will he react when he sees his dad for the first time in almost two years? I tell Ray, we're going to get McDonald's, but very far away from home. I want to tell him we're going to see his dad, but I know anything can happen on the way up there. When we pull up to the facility, my son looks up from his Happy Meal and says, Where are we? Mom wanted to surprise you. We are here to see Daddy. His entire face smiles, his eyes so shiny and bright. Daddy, Daddy, he cheers as I pull him out of the car. I think, yes, we made it. I walk in, sign my paperwork, and put our things in a locker. I wait to be called. Zudeta Rivera Luciano. I go to the window. The CO says, your name is not matching what is on the list. Inmate put you down as Zudeta Rivera. Sorry, you will not be allowed in. She's behind that glass window all dressed up in her uniform looking so smug with no type of empathy. I look at my baby boy and instantly regret telling him where we're going. I traveled two hours and I have my baby with me. No ma'am, the inmate has to correct the name. I hear her, but I tune her out. I already know I won't be allowed in. I look down at my son, grab his hand and walk away. 
The CO is still instructing me, but I don't give a shit. We make our way to the door and he's running on his tippy toes as I'm pulling him out. What happened to daddy? I want my daddy. Daddy! I feel like I broke my son's heart in a million pieces. I strap him in the seatbelt and put on his cartoons. Mom loves you. I try to block out his cries as I sit in the driver's seat and pull off. I'm so mad. This coming from a man who is so OCD about everything. If I ever made a mistake like that, I would never hear the end of it. I can't wait until he calls so I can tell his ass off. My baby is traumatized. I have to drive two hours back home with a broken-hearted kid. Toys R Us it is. My son is 12 years old now. His dad is out. Ricky has been married, separated, and there's a baby from another relationship. One day, after coming home from seeing his dad and new baby sister, Ray walks into his room with his head low. I follow him. Hey, baby, how was your visit? He sits on the bed and looks at me with tears in his eyes. I feel like dad is ignoring me and pays attention to the baby, like I'm not even there. I've been replaced. I hold him as he lets it out. You are his baby boy, and she is his baby girl. No one can ever replace you, you hear me? I grab his chin and I lift it up. And that's a fact. He's bawling his eyes out. God, when will this cycle end? Later. I get Ricky on the phone and say, listen, you have to fix this. Ray needs your attention. All that time you were in there, he missed you. Don't fuck this up. Make it happen. Ricky says, okay, Zudata, I hear you. I want Ray to have a dad. I feel he's going to be okay because Ricky is out and they're catching up. I'm glad he can still have a dad. I'm still waiting on mine. Coming up, I'll talk to our storytellers, Udeda Rivera and Barbara Allen of Prison Families Anonymous. This is Houses on the Moon podcast. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChompaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Houses on the Moon podcast. I'm Emily Joy Weiner. Thank you so much for sharing. You're very welcome. When I first met Yuzudata and started working on, you know, trying to put together this project called Shared Sentences, I was looking for people to talk to, other people that also had an incarcerated family member or loved one, and I reached out to my friend David Rothenberg of the Fortune Society, who said, you cannot begin to talk to families or talk about families and incarceration without speaking to Barbara Allen. She wrote the book, literally. Her memoir is called Doing Our Time on the Outside. She co-founded Prison Families Anonymous in 1974, the first support group for families with incarcerated loved ones. Hi, Barbara. Hi, hi, Emily and Z. I just wanted to tell you, I just want to hug that four-year-old you and that four-year-old son of yours. You are a very, very strong woman. And um, you, you could be very proud of how you've lived your life. Wow, thank you so much for that. I, I really do appreciate it. And we, we still need that hug, so I'm holding you to it. <laughs> and I can't wait to give it to you. Barbara, can you tell us, why did you start Prison Families Anonymous? Back in December of 1966, my husband shot and killed his father in my kitchen. And I was totally alone. I had no idea of what I was going to face. There was no one I could speak to. There was no one who could understand. There was, um, I was totally isolated. I was a primary school teacher. I had no experience with, with violence, with prison. And all of a sudden, I'm thrust into this world. And I didn't want to do it by myself. And since there was nobody out there, I instinctively turned to other people in the visiting room. I'd be in the visiting room and i turn to the person behind me and say, how are you? How are we going to get through this? And that's why I said we started as a grassroots organization. I really did it so I could have support. It was very selfish, but I knew that I could not do this by myself. Zudeda. How much did they tell you, meaning your family or the people in your life, when you were a kid? And how did you figure out what was going on? I knew my dad was in prison because they told me he was in prison, but I did not know what prison was. I was too young to understand that I wouldn't be walking out of the door hand in hand with my father after I visited him. No one really told me in detail what my father did, how much time he had to do. So every day I just wondered when was he coming home. Even when I asked him, he never gave me a straight answer. So I really didn't know anything until I was like an adolescent about how many years he would really be doing and that I'd be like spending most of my adult life without him as well. How would you say that it's helped you help your son navigate his own experience with, with a, a father who's also incarcerated? 
or was also incarcerated? It helped me not to lie to him. I did it to a way that he would understand in increments as he aged. Like I told him, we're going to go see daddy, but daddy can't come with us. Daddy has to stay there. Daddy did something and he's being punished. But you get to see daddy, you get to write daddy, you get to talk to daddy on the phone, and he's going to come home soon. And that's how I explained it to him as he was a, a little a little toddler at, at the time. And then as he got a little older, I explained to him further in detail. And he was really broken up about it. Even telling him as a toddler that he wasn't going to be able to come out with his dad was heartbreaking. There were nothing but tears in our first visit, in our first visit because he could not grasp why his father had to be there. Anything else that you want to sort of express or share with us? Well, I feel like incarceration is uh, the separation of families. And um, because my father was incarcerated, I had to deal with living a life without a father. And when I had my child, I didn't think that he was going to have the same life because I met his father as a working man, like I, you know, like I said in the story. And um, when it happened to me, I was devastated because my son was still a baby and I had to raise him without his father. And I said, wow, like I tried my best not to be in a relationship with a man that would be incarcerated. And now I'm giving, I'm, I'm traumatizing myself again with these visits and the phone calls and, and the writing of the letters. And now my son, I've passed it on to my child. So now he has to go through the same feelings that I went through, the same wondering, the same hurt, the same absence of a father. And, you know, that's, uh, that's more than a, that's like a triple hurt, you know. And you feel guilty, of course. Oh, all the time. And as many times as I might tell you, you're not responsible. It's not your fault. You did the best you could. You loved your child, and you had absolutely no guilt in, in what happened to him. But you're going to feel that. Thank you very much for that. The stigma for the families, and I call the families collateral damage. And we all feel so stigmatized. And as a second generation, I'm sure that um, you feel it tenfold. So my question is, did your husband's incarceration and everything that led up to him being incarcerated, did it did it change how you felt about him while he was incarcerated? The person that you knew was no longer the same person. How do you love the new person? My husband killed his father because he was a battered child. His father treated him terribly as he was growing up and humiliated him and, and beat him up. So my heart went out to this man and he was my diamond in the rough. I was going to get rid of all those rough edges. And um, of course, I couldn't. 
I eventually had to divorce him because there was domestic violence involved and I did have two daughters. But um, my husband was an alcoholic. When he got out of prison and sobered up, um, we went back together. I never remarried him, but I was with him when he died. As a matter of fact, Jean's last words to me were, Barbara, help me, because that's what I did all his, all his adult life. So um, love is, is, there are all kinds of love. And I think maybe I loved him more as, as um, I, I wanted to save him. And I loved him as you would a child, the prodigal son. I'm very proud of the fact that before he died, um, he opened his house as a, a sober home, and he worked with many, many alcoholics, and um, at his memorial, so many of them spoke about how he helped them. So life is kind of strange. Wow. I'm blown away by that. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Thanks. Zudeda, if you were in charge of prison reform and you had all the power, uh, is there anything specific? What would you do to make the system, you know, more, uh, to make the system easier for families who struggle so much trying to navigate? I would request that they make prison family friendly, that they made it look more like an oasis than a prison room, colorful toys, things, that, games, things that families can really engage, real cooked food, not just a vending machine or not anything that mom had to cook to bring over, you know, something where, and longer visits instead of just like an hour or an hour and a half. Something where a family can really say, I had a really nice visit and everything was like relaxed and not so intimidating by, you know, the CEOs and their dogs and their shotguns and bulletproof vests because we've already passed the metal detector. We've already passed the dogs. We don't have anything on us. Just leave us alone for a few minutes. Let me have these few minutes with my mom or dad you know what I mean let me feel comfortable so that's that would be one of my requests just one of them and Barbara I'll ask you the same question all right we don't have prisons as they are today we have community-based treatment centers I don't believe anyone deserves to be locked up in a cage I know that there are people who I do not want walking in the streets and I do not want my children and even they to be in facilities that are treatment centers. We take a person who has problems, we put them in the cage for 10 years, 30 years, however long, and then we open the cage and, and the same people come out. And if, they, if we had community-based institutions or, or treatment centers, the families could get to visit them. They perhaps could come home on furloughs and live in a normal environment. There are so many other ways that we can handle the, this issue of incarceration that is costly, but it's cost-effective because you won't have the recidivism rate. You'll have less intergenerational crime, um, but nobody ever asked me. 
I did. Thank you. To learn more, get support, or take action around mass incarceration, please visit housesonthemoon.org and click on Our Projects Shared Sentences. Barbara Allen is the co-founder of Prison Families Anonymous, a support group for family members of incarcerated loved ones. She was involved with the publication of the folio edition of All I Ever Wanted, Stories of the Children of the Incarcerated. She recently published her memoir, Doing Our Time on the Outside, One Prison Family of 2.5 Million. Zudeda Rivera was raised in Newark, New Jersey by her Puerto Rican grandparents who spoke no English and had no formal education. She is the first college graduate in her family. She's a fellow with the Beyond the Bars Fellowship at Columbia University Center for Social Justice. Zudeda works full-time as a program assistant at Osborne Association. She helps returning citizens get job training, steady employment, and into programs to aid with their reintegration into society. Special thanks to the Lanky Family Foundation and to the Broadway Podcast Network for making this program possible. The Houses on the Moon podcast is produced by Will Coley. Original music is composed by Raleigh Neal II. The creative director is Jeffrey Solomon. The managing director of Houses on the Moon Theater Company is Kevin Connor. If you want to learn more about Houses on the Moon, please visit us at housesonthemoon.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. I'm Emily Joy Weiner, Houses on the Moon's Artistic Director. Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep your ear to the ground. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.